0: Welcome to AB3 Speaks with Monica and Takia, the podcast on academic business and branding, where we talk about planning, building, running, and growing a business as Black academic women who want to share their knowledge with the world.
1: I'm Takia Nur-Amin academic success strategist, dance scholar, and lover of all things luxury.
0: I'm Monica A. Coleman, professor, religious leader, and mom to an active growing kid. We have over 25 years combined experience of sharing our academic knowledge beyond the classroom, and we're telling you all the things we wish someone had told us.
1: We will share our values-led ways of monetizing your advanced education in today's global marketplace and highlight
0: Black academic women who are doing this with excellence and flair. So stay hydrated, make sure you have something to write on and write with because class is in session. On the syllabus today is Takiyah noor Amin. That's right. We are going to do an interview with each other, so catch this episode, catch the next episode to hear about our academic businesses, and that will tell you a little bit about how we got to AB3 Speaks with Monica and Takea to begin with. So welcome to our own show, Takia Nor amin
1: Thank you. I feel welcomed.
0: Oh, this is going to be so much fun because I know so much of your story. But you know, every time we talk, I hear something or we share something that I didn't know about you. So we ask all of our guests, and I guess you're a guest on the show today, to tell our audience about your own academic journey, your academic training, what your specialty is, but also how you got there.
1: I'm always happy to talk about this because. Um, it's not, at least in my estimation, a common place to end up for people who have the kinds of academic interests that I had. So um, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, which if you are around me for more than 30 seconds, you know, and you know that it's a thing I'm very proud of. My mother was a teacher in the Buffalo Public Schools, and my father was a security guard at the main branch of the Buffalo Public Library. So I always tell people if there's anything I know, I know classrooms and libraries. Um, I was a young person who really loved dance. My mother was a theater and language person. My mother loves poetry and the magic of storytelling and words. My father was the music person. My father loved jazz and diasporic music and was a really intense lover of of music and sound. But the thing that always made the most sense to me was dance. A lot of my earliest memories are of being four and five years old and dancing to my parents' records and them bribing me to go to bed because I wanted to stay up dancing. And they would have to promise me that I could dance the next day if I went to bed on time, and things like that. Um, I was pretty academically inclined all through school, graduated high school early, always did well. I was an advanced placement uh, student and international baccalaureate student. Um, but and and because of that, other people were always making comments about what I should do. She should be a doctor. um she should be a lawyer. Um, She needs to figure out a way to go into corporate and make a lot of money. None of that spoke to me. What spoke to me was Black performance, musical theater, dance, anything that had to do with being on the stage. And so my undergraduate degree is in dance from the State University of New York at Buffalo. Um, I did spend my sophomore year of undergrad at Howard University studying in their dance department. I went on to do a master's of fine arts in arts administration at Virginia Tech. At that time, I know it's because I thought maybe I would have a dance company or school. Um, even though I was sort of dreaming about writing about dance, you know, nobody tells you you can be a dance scholar on career day. So I, w- I hadn't really worked to that part out yet, even though I can remember being an undergraduate student in a dance history class. and reading so much about whiteness and Eurocentricity and thinking to myself, maybe one day I can craft a kind of scholarship that changes this dominant narrative in my discipline. But I wasn't sure how to do that just yet, even in my master's. So I did a master's of fine arts in arts administration. I learned so much about the part of the arts that isn't performance, the part that's about fundraising and development and planning and strategic thinking. That was very exciting to me. And after I finished my master's, I actually worked in student affairs at Virginia Tech. I ran two cultural centers. Um, I worked in outreach at our race and social policy research center. And I was invited to teach in history and Africana studies, which definitely um, ignited the bug for further academic training. And I'd been dreaming about doing a Ph.D. in dance studies for a long time by then, but I was very intimidated by it, by it. Nobody in my family had a doctorate. To me, getting a PhD sounded as possible as building a ladder to the moon. It just, how how do you do that? How do you do any of that? But I know libraries. So surely, if it's a thing worth doing, someone's written a book about how do you get a PhD? So I spent time in the library looking at books about grad school and going to Barnes and Noble and sitting in the cafe and looking at those big books about graduate education and decided to apply to a program that I'd been looking at for a long time. So I applied to do a PhD in dance studies at Temple University and I was accepted into that program as a future faculty fellow. I also, in addition to completing the doctorate in dance studies, completed a graduate certificate in gender and women's studies and also a graduate certificate in teaching for higher education. And um, I think that trajectory even... You
0: got the paper, girl. Okay, go ahead.
1: (laughs) I got all the papers, right? I got all the papers. And I know part of that came out of um, my own desire to deepen my research skill set. But also, I never wanted to be in a situation where someone could keep me out of the room because I didn't have a PhD, or because I didn't have an MFA. Particularly when it came to wanting to advocate on behalf of my students, I wanted to have access to all the places that I might need to be in to do that. And that academic training really gave me the access that I wanted.
0: And what do you do now?
1: Well, now, you know, I, in addition to being a fantastic podcaster, with you, I am a DEI director at a land grant university in the South. And it's exciting to be working in the DEI space, even in this moment where commitments around equity and inclusion are attack, are under attack in this country. It's exciting for me to be working in the DEI space, even in this moment where commitments to equity and inclusion are under attack in this country precisely because it is a space that allows me to bring everything I know how to do to bear on my work. Um, What I know about community building and engagement from being in the arts, what I know about research and developing frameworks for my work in arts administration, what I know about supporting faculty, staff, and students from my work both in student affairs and as a faculty member for many years. I get to put all of that in my blender and take it to work every day to assist the institution where I work in meeting its goals around DEI at the intersection of its academic mission. So
0: DEI is very hot right now. You you did not share that I know a bit about is you know many of us who get PhDs were just kind of trained like The place you're supposed to go is a tenure track job in a research one university, Uh, despite the fact that there are so many other things to do in academia and outside of academia with a Ph.D. How did you get to the DEI space from dance scholar?
1: You know, part of it, I think, was just serendipity because a big piece of my personality is I have a real strong desire for stability. And consistency. And I think when I was dreaming about growing up and being a professor, I thought to myself, at least in part, well, this is a way for me to be in the arts, but to do it in a way that has stability and consistency and health insurance. And I'll just be a professor teaching my classes, living in a little house somewhere, and I'll be very happy, and my bills will be paid on time, and I'll have a quiet life, and everything will be fine. And my life has been not quiet. (laughs) in in any of those ways that I imagined. Um, I think what really catapulted me into the DEI space was the fact that before we were calling it that, I was doing that kind of work in my field anyway. I was always challenging institutional norms, even even as a faculty member um, in the professional societies associated with damn studies. I was always doing work around dismantling white supremacy culture or raising consciousness around equity and inclusion. Um, my own scholarship, yes, my area of expertise is 20th century American performance, but through my focus on Black aesthetics and performance, um, questions about um, working and thinking about how to develop curricula that really reflect the full range of movement practices outside of white supremacist frameworks. I mean, this was work I was already doing before people were calling it um DEI or JEDI, you know, justice, equity, diversity and inclusion, or, you know, whatever the the, the acronyms are on your particular campus. I was always a person who was interested in justice and equity anyway. Um So it doesn't feel like too much of a leap for me professionally to now be working more formally in the DEI space. I will say at a micro level, I was attending the faculty women of color in the academy conference and really overheard someone talking about the position that I currently hold. And it just so happened that I overheard a conversation where Another woman was saying, you know, we're really trying to fill this position, but we've had a real hard time finding someone who would be interested. And I thought, well, it sounds interesting to me. You know, at least I can take a look. And having now worked in this space for almost a year, um, I don't
0: regret having made this choice. And this, folks, is why you should go to conferences. No. And not that you intended it to be an ad, but, you know, we always talk about networking at conferences, networking at conferences and teaching people how to network like it's a teachable thing, which is always funny to me. I am like, just be friendly. Right. But, you know, here you were at the conference paying attention to what's happening around you. And bam. One of the things that I often tell people is um, if
1: you're the person who comes to the conference to just give your paper or just give your talk and go and hang out by the pool. okay, that's one way to do it. But some of my best professional connections and friendships have been made at professional conferences where I've taken the time to decenter myself and be interested in what other people were presenting other people's ideas. At that particular conference, I made it a point to try to sit at a different table for lunch every time so that I could meet other people and hear about their stories and experiences. And having my new job is one of the ways that that paid off.
0: So you also have an academic business. This is what brings us here. Tell us about your academic business.
1: I still kind of think it's funny that I have an academic business because I never really thought of myself as a business person. Um, Being an entrepreneur is not something that I saw for myself necessarily in a formal way outside of my one-time discreet dream of running an art center or a dance school or something like that. I didn't really see myself as Takea, the the business person. But one of the things that started to happen a lot shortly after I finished my PhD is that people were often reaching out to me for help, all kinds of help. How do I put a CV together? How do I prepare for the job market? How do I set myself up to network successfully? You have a website, how do I do that? Do I need one? I really want to go back to graduate school. I've been thinking about it. How do I navigate that space? I mean, people were often asking me for help. And I am a person who believes it's important to be generous. I'm very grateful for the people who've been generous to me over my life and my career. And so I was always happy to help people, but it would always happen in these weird spaces bathrooms, hallways, parking lots. Airports, when both of our flights are delayed, you know, it was always this kind of informal catch-as-can thing that was happening. So when I started my business back in 2014, Black Girl Brilliance, it was really as a way to put some contours around something that I was already doing. I was already helping people navigate their academic careers with tailored strategic career solutions depending on where they were in their own trajectory. And I was happy to do that because there were a lot of things that I learned the hard way. And I wanted to make sure that other people didn't have to make the mistakes that I'd made. And I wanted to, in some way, pass along my gratitude for the people who had taken care of and helped and supported me. So I was working one-on-one with individual clients. We'd get together um, in those early days on teleconference before the the uh, presence of, of of Skype and Zoom and all of that. But I would get on the phone with people and we would, you know, they would talk to me about their confidential challenges. And we would map out strategy around everything from applying for jobs to negotiating contracts. I was happy to show up for and support people in those ways. Around 2018, I got my first request to work with an institution around professional development and curriculum development. And while I was happy to embrace that challenge, it's not something that I'd anticipated. You know, I was happy working with my individual clients and as a scholar still being invited in to do class visits and give scholarly talks, but I never thought that institutions would want to tap into my particular expertise around curriculum development and professional development. And I was wondering at that time if this was something that was going to um, continue to happen for me or if it was just sort of a one-off in my business. And now fast forward to 2023, I've had several institutional clients. I still work with individuals. The work that I do has gone far beyond what I ever imagined, and I'm very grateful for it.
0: Well, this is a question that we ask everyone because it's something that we value here at the Academic Business and Branding Brain Trust, and that is about your values. Will you share a bit about the values that drive your business or that undergird the way that you do business?
1: One of the things that I know is different about the way we talk about business here is that we don't talk first about business offerings or even type of business. Um, It's really about what are your values? what grounds you and orients you in the world? And then how do you build a business that wraps around or is at least honestly reflective of those values? Um, for me, there are several. I'll lift up a few. One is I'm a person who values confidentiality and relationship. And so when my clients come to me because they need confidential solutions and support, it's perfectly fine if they tell other people that we worked together, but I make it a point not to go around telling everyone who I've worked with. Um, Part of that is because the academy is big but small. And sometimes, mostly, when people or institutions, for that matter, are seeking me out, it's because they need help beyond what's available where they are. And sometimes that can be um, complicated or sticky, but maintaining a value around relationship and confidentiality is one of the reasons I am sure that I've had repeat clients, both individuals and institutions, because I know how to keep things under the vest. You know, I'm perfectly fine being uh, the invisible hand or the Olivia Pope of academia. Someone called me that once, and I really like that. It's perfectly fine with me that. Everybody doesn't know that I helped with a particular project or initiative. I just like seeing people and institutions succeed that are trying to work in the higher education space in a healthy and transformational way. Another value that's important to me is what I call brilliance, which for me is me bringing the sparkle and effervescence of my own joy and personality to the work that I do. Um, For years, I thought maybe I shouldn't work in higher ed because it felt so heavy and serious. And there is a part of my personality that can be that way. But there is another part of me that is joyful and fun and sparkly and funny. And I was not going to be happy or comfortable with a a business that made me leave all that outside. So I bring the full authenticity of who I am to bear on the work that I do with my clients. And it might not be a best fit for some, but for others who are open to that kind of engagement, that sense of brilliance and sparkle and creativity, is just a hallmark of who I am. And I'm not comfortable cutting that off and leaving that out. I also think it's critical for me to lift up that the work that I do is strategy work. I am not a coach. I'm not a person who kind of nurtures and handholds people across the finish line of their accomplishments. The work that I do is around strategy. We do scenario planning. We do role playing. We think about possibilities and weaknesses and threats. And so part of the value that I bring to that is a kind of incisiveness and clarity in the work. Often clients come to me thinking they want to work on one thing, and really it's a separate thing that they really want to work on. And so being willing to invest in deep listening as a practice has been essential to me doing business. Because if I just listened to what people said they wanted, um, I don't think the outcomes would be nearly as successful as they have been. So a big part of my practice is, yes, yes about incisiveness and strategy and focus and clarity, but it's undergirded by this commitment to deep listening and real engagement with clients as a way to inform what we do together.
0: I was waiting for you to say strategy because I love how you call yourself an academic success strategist. And, you know, I once asked you if, all of your clients were black women because your company's called black girl brilliance and then i was like oh no no you're the brilliant black girl <laughs> it's your brilliance that you get to share with others and of course you do work with brilliant black women as well but not exclusively of course um but i'm telling you when she says brilliance like that a clot that that sparkle that dust of gold that has to go on everything. I would have no sparkle in my life if it were not for Takia, who wants to sparkle everything and who thinks I probably need more sparkle. My sparkle is kind of like crunchy granola sparkle maybe, but her sparkle is like gold dust, let me tell you. (laughs) So I love how the name of your business also encompasses your own personality, which I think it
1: should. But also um, I I chose it because... People who, don't, people who don't want to work with a brilliant Black girl shouldn't come over here, <laughs> right? So there's a way in which the name is really a buffer, right? If you hear Black girl brilliance and you think, oh, that's me, great, let's work together. If you hear Black girl brilliance and you think, I would love to work with a brilliant Black woman on this, great. But if you hear Black girl brilliance and nothing about that resonates with you or feels attractive to you and it automatically turns you around and pushes you away, good. You are not a good fit (laughs) to work with me. And and I'm happy about that because I am really proud of all the things that make me who I am. And I am proud of the things that make me who I am that over the years, um, and even in the academy, are things that people have wanted to make me not feel proud of. You know, I'm from a city that is often referred to as a kind of punchline or as a sort of nowhere place. All of my degrees come from public universities. I didn't even know that was a thing to be scoffed at until I got deeper into the academy and realized that there are some people who really look down on that. Where I come from, getting any kind of education mattered, let alone where you were able to get it. You know, So I'm proud of the public universities where I've um, earned my degrees. All of my degrees are in dance and theater. These are disciplines that some people, even in 2023, want to climb onto Beyonce's internet and argue about whether or not they even belong in the academy and are they real disciplines and do they have methods and don't you think you need to be grounded in a real field? And, you know, so I'm a person who is, uh, uh, and all of that on top of being, you know, a black woman, a plus-sized woman, an outspoken woman, You know, all these things that I've been told are bad are things that I've done the work to be at peace with and really develop some pride in myself about. So if Black Girl Brilliance turns you off, this would be the wrong place (laughs) to to, to seek a, a client strategist relationship. So the name of the business was Intentional, and in part, it blocks me from people who would not know how to honor the gifts that I bring to this work.
0: Well, you've talked about brilliance. Would you also talk a bit about freedom? Because I know that having this business has given you a lot of options or freedom, or I would love for you to share what this business has given you that you might not have had had you not had the business.
1: I know that I mentioned earlier the part of myself that really craves a kind of stability and security. And that's true. But there's another part of me that has never been good at feeling micromanaged or having people tell me what to do. I mean, that's why
0: most of us go into the academy, right?
1: (laughs) Part of what attracted me to the academy was, at least in my head, it was, oh, this is a place where if I get the credentials that I need and develop the expertise that they're offering, I can go about writing what I want to write. I can make what I want to make. I can collaborate with the people I want to collaborate with and have the kind of intellectual and creative freedom that really lights me up and that, you know, sustains me as a creative thinking person. And I can have a a paycheck that's regular and, you know, I can put the utility bills on auto pay. I need that kind of stability, right? And that was a hard thing to be honest about because... As someone who's always been involved in dance and theater, you know, when I was finishing undergrad, a lot of my friends were auditioning for things and planning to couch surf for the next six months and, you know, kind of live, catch as can in major cities in order to launch their performance careers. But I was coming from a situation where I was coming from a single parent home. My mother still had a younger sibling to pay for college for. And while my family was very proud of me and everything I had accomplished, The vibe was also, I needed to get out of the way for the next one to come through, and I needed to hurry up and get some stability on my own. So there's a part of me that really values stability and security, but I also value the freedom to do what I want to do on my terms, almost as much as I value that stability and security thing. And so having my business has allowed me to cultivate both. Right. It brings in more money that I can uh, direct in my life to where I need and or want it to be. The business has given me the freedom at one point in my career to look at an employment situation that really wasn't honoring me and say, you know, thanks, but no thanks because I had enough individual clients and institutional contracts that I could step away and say, you know, this really isn't a good fit. Thank you for the opportunity, but I'm going to go ahead and say no to this. I had built up enough business and reputation that I could stand on my own two feet and provide myself both the stability and the freedom to not only take care of myself in a material sense, but also give myself the freedom to conduct my life on my own terms and. That felt really huge. I, I, I often say to people, you know, you walk differently when you have enough money to tell people kiss you behind. You just, you do. When you know that um, you're not working a particular position out of need, but because you want to be there, the way you approach the work comes from a much more empowered place. You know, I often use the metaphor, you're driving that car from the front. You're not trying to drive that car while you're sitting in the trunk. And so, having my own business and other business endeavors um, makes it so that I can have both the freedom and the stability. I can have the security and the flexibility because I'm a personality that, in order to feel healthy and well, I really need both.
0: So, how did you learn to do business? I mean, we understand how you had the skill set to do the content, right, to talk with people and to guide them in certain ways and to strategize and even with institutions. But how did you figure out the business part, right? Because that's kind of what brings us to this podcast to begin with.
1: If I'm being completely honest and that's what I want to be with our listeners, I'm still learning the business part. OK, so hear that everybody out there in podcast landia, even though I've been at this since 2014 in a range of ways, I'm still learning the business part. Um, having all of my advanced degrees didn't position me to to, to do that part. Um, and I did what I always do. I read books. I went out on the internet, I took people's webinars, I signed up for people's teleconferences. I know that's going way back. Some of us remember prepaid teleconference phone lines and jumping on those for trainings. Um, I paid attention to what I saw other entrepreneurs doing, not so much to do what they do, but to do what they do. Let me explain. I don't think you can ever copy somebody else's strategy. It's like if you came and took one of my syllabi, you know, someone took one of my syllabi, they still couldn't teach my class. Because there is a creativity and an innovation and a selfhood that I bring to and embody in that work that's just mine. So even as I was looking at other entrepreneurs, um maybe I wouldn't copy another person's system, but I could say to myself, well this person has a system for XYZ. I need a system. You know, When I talk about being inspired by others, that's what I mean. You can emulate the form of what someone else does, but not the content, right? You learn from the form and you you infuse it with your own content. But I will say a lot of my learning around business has been really catch as can because there weren't resources really available that were thinking about Black women at the intersection of higher ed and entrepreneurship. And so I was always in a position where I had to tailor whatever I was learning back to my own context, sometimes more or less successfully. Any book that I read, I would have to take the content and go, okay, what does that mean for the space that I'm in? And sometimes I was able to apply those lessons with more or less success. But much of it has been, you know, I don't mind admitting very catch as can because I didn't have available to me the kind of support that we're now trying to make available to others.
0: Well, is there anything that, if you could share one thing with our audience about your academic business, your academic journey, what you love about what you do and how you do it, or a lesson you've learned that you would like to share, what would that be?
1: I know that this might sound new age to some people, or soft in a certain way. But the thing that I really want, especially Black women and other women of color to start doing, whether we're thinking about academic careers or businesses, is to take the time to focus in on your joy. What makes you really happy? What makes you feel downright effervescent? If we shook you out of a dead sleep at three o'clock in the morning to do something, what would make you not mad about that? Because you were going to do the thing that you really loved. There are things in my life that I do very well, but those aren't necessarily the things that light me up. Grant writing. I've written very successful grants. It's a thing that I know how to do. It's a skill that I have. I don't do grant writing in my business because it doesn't light me up. It doesn't give me an opportunity to feel that sense of effervescence and sparkle. I know that at my core, whether I was working in higher education or solely as an entrepreneur, or I was a park ranger, or I was flipping burgers at McDonald's, the core of who I am as a person, I am a person who loves to see other people thrive. And I am happy, genuinely happy when I can connect people with the resources that they need to achieve their goals. I've never needed other people to reach my goals. You know, even as a faculty member, I've never been excited about making little versions of me. Making little copies of me has never been the goal or the thing that excites me. What excites me is hearing about other people's dreams and other people's goals and saying, I know just what you should read or oh, I know someone you should know, or I've done that. Let me walk you through these 10 steps that'll help you do that better. That fills me with such a sense of meaning and purpose and happiness in my life. So if you're thinking about striking out and building a business, just you know, start paying attention to, the, to what I call sweet spots. Make a note on your phone or somewhere that you can always get to it. And when you have those moments that feel sweet, and fun, and bright, and effervescent, write them down. Take note of them. I'm happy when I'm working with X person. Oh, I'm happy when I'm working with graduate students. Oh, I love when I get to work outdoors. I love when I get to work with people from XYZ background. Oh, whatever it is, start paying attention to those sweet moments in your life so that then you can craft your next step in such a way that those moments are not happenstance, They're not few and far between. You begin to build a life where you have more of those sweet moments together and up against each other because you've crafted your own kind of world around that. Pay attention to your joy. It is not ancillary to your career or to your business or to the things that you want to achieve. It is the core of it. It is the lifeblood of it. And none of us want to be out here leading joyless
0: lives. We do not. Well, where can people find you? We know where we can find academic business and branding brain trust, but where can we find you, Black Girl Brilliance?
1: Yeah, the best place to find me is at my website. You can always find me www.takiyanuramin.com. Everything you need is there to connect with me on social media or to send me an inquiry. And that is the case for both institutions
0: and individuals. Look forward to hearing from you. Well, thank you for being on our podcast as a guest, not just as a host. And I hope you all enjoyed learning more about how we have come, at least how Takia has come to this side of academic business and branding brain trust. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you
1: for joining us for this episode of AB3 Speaks with Monica and Takia. We do this podcast because
0: we want to serve and support Black Academic Women's entrepreneurial dreams. So, subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. We read every one, and this will help others to find the show. If you're looking to take the next step in your career, go to BlackAdemicBrainTrust.com where you can join our amazing community and get our free resource on the 12 questions you should ask yourself before becoming a black academic entrepreneur.
1: Our mission is to nurture your entrepreneurial dreams within and beyond the academy and build a business that both sustains and offers you freedom. We look forward to you finding and joining us at Blackademicbraintrust.com.
0: Because we want you to win.